Hi everybody and welcome to No Country. My name is J. David Osborne. That is Chris Sacknessum. Chris, how are you this evening? Well, I'm <laughs> I'm recovering. I'm recovering from uh, a little home exercise <laughs> incident that uh, it was very funny. It was very successful. Uh, but I, I was on my water rower, you mm-hmm. know, a rowing machine, beautiful sort of swish, but it's a lozenge full of water. So you get this beautiful, you know, aesthetic swishing sound. And uh, I often, I, I, I listen to different kinds of music, you know, from uh, Brazilian drumming to gamelan music to uh, Tibetan gongs, you know, a whole bunch of different things. But but today I thought I'd, I'd go back to... Uh, to some Western classical music and, and some heavy hitting stuff, you know, big dramatic stuff. Uh, also struck, you know, Zarathustra, uh, Tchaikovsky's Toccata and Fugue and D minor and Wagner's The Valkyries. And, and then, and I'm really going along and just in the groove and, you, you know, you strap your feet in. So you're kind of, you know, you're fixed for, for, you know, the routine. Mm-hmm. And then up comes Rossini's, the, you know, the William Tell Overture, which many people uh, will recognize as the, the theme to the old Lone Ranger, you know. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's one of those kind of ridiculously inspiring songs. So I start picking up the pace, shush, 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 shush. And something goes wrong with the CD player. And I think, wait a minute, that's the end of, of the overture, yeah. And up it comes again. And I think, oh, dun, 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 dun. and I thought, well, I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll go with that. And uh, so I start picking up the pace all the more, <laughs> and uh, it plays itself out. And I'm, you know, I think, okay, and up it comes again. And you know, I thought, well, I don't really want to unstrap my feet and just end the work to, you know, to reset the thing. So I'm just gonna go for it. well. I would just like to advise people to, whether it's a, a rowing machine or any other kind of home exercise device, do not try to compete with the William Tell Overture <laughs> on repeat because it will get the better of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So No, that's great. No, that's great. I find myself in the gym when I'm lifting. I, I, I beat my personal record recently, so I deadlifted uh, – 315 for three, right? Which is not, it's not fantastic. I weigh 160 pounds. So 315 is 196% of my body weight. So I did that for three and I was very excited about it. But when we're talking about elite lifters, they lift, you know, 500, 600 pounds at my weight. So not bragging. They've been doing it a lot longer though. Yeah. Yeah. They've been doing it a lot longer. So I was very, I was very happy about that. But uh, there's a point in time when I'm at the gym where I, you know, I drink this energy drink that has all these B vitamins and caffeine and things in it. And towards my the end of my gym session, I'll be in this kind of methed out fugue state where I'm just trying to do as much as I possibly can. And it's this just I I am seriously at risk of injuring myself because I'm like, just do five more. You can do five more, you know don't be a coward, just do it, you know? And so I, I relate to what you're saying wholeheartedly, where it's like, you should probably stop at a certain point or risk yeah. serious injury. But Chris, what are we going to talk about today? Okay, well, we, we started off uh, last week with an interesting uh, look into uh, the world of Charles Fort, mm-hmm. uh, one of the greatest skeptics and amateur adventurers of the mind, if you will, uh, famous for uh, cataloging uh, as many kinds of anomalous uh, events in the world that he could. That was his great love. Uh, you introduced him by saying that he did start his career as an attempted fiction writer and kind of a hack uh, journalist. Um, but he, his orientation from the start was kind of in a world weekly news sort of idea. Mm-hmm. But from a philosophical point of view of questioning uh, orthodoxy, uh, particularly calcified scientific 
orthodoxy that kind of un, you know was unquestioning of of uh, of everything. I think if you put them into contemporary terms, you know, when people say, "Well, well, we're following the science," uh, I think he might have asked, "Well, exactly how much do you really know about science?" Yeah. And and why are you following it as opposed to investigating it and, and mm. being curious about it? Mm. And uh, I, so I thought that was, well, you know, he, he kind of brings us back to the idea that curiosity is our natural right. It's a democratic individual possibility for us all to to reclaim, uh, to to enjoy. You know, and I, I think he deeply, he was passionate about his pursuit of strange, uh, damn facts, if you like. Um, so we kind of introduced him, and, I, and I've been thinking about him all week. Um, I'm in this personal project of uh, reading for the first time or rereading some of the great original sources of, of, of science. Um, Humboldt and Natural History, Darwin, um, and recently Michael Faraday. And so one point that really struck me, and I, I do want to mention a couple of things about uh, wrapping up Darwin's Voyage of the Beagle um, and the Faraday lectures on the forces of matter. But I think to start with, to position this episode, I, I would like to, to make the argument that Fort was not uh, critiquing, attacking, or dismissing science in the, the great sense of the adventure of curiosity, speculation, experimentation, the searching for truth that we associate with the really great luminous individuals who are at the heart of science, really. His, his complaint, if you like, I think, was when the, the, the second, third, fourth, fifth level of downstream explainers, summarizers, glossers, packagers of, of the great individual's ideas began to ossify mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. to, to turn into an orthodoxy that no one you know, would question. So he was really, I think trying to harmonize with some of these great uh, luminous figures uh, in the history of science, in his own humble, uh, amateur, deeply enthusiastic, and let's not forget that enthusiasm comes from entheos, the God within, that that's how we, we you know, that's an important energizing spirit that we can all find is, is in our own curiosity, mm -hmm. in our own skepticism, our own desire to, to follow the path of these great people, not to, and not to just follow them blindly, but to try to emulate their curiosity, their speculation, their experimentation and discipline. And that, that kind of is a good way, I think, for people uh, who, who are familiar with Fort to rethink him, and for people who are not familiar with him, to, to think of him as a champion of, of everyday people, you know, people who are experimenting, um, mm -hmm. like my plumber friend, you know. Tell he, me about he, this guy. Well, you know, he's as good an amateur scientist as anybody I know. He's got the spirit of curiosity, investigation. He, he doesn't take anything for granted. Uh, he's very careful in his work. But he's, a, he's an amateur astronomer. Uh, he and his wife go birding. Um, they're, they're curious. And I, he said something that I think is beautiful, and I'm going to incorporate it in, into my textbook. Because he travels around with, he's got a, a right-in-the-rain tactical uh, field notebook. He's got a, a pair of binoculars that he travels with. I mean, that's kind of cool. I, I mean, go plumbers who carry really good binoculars with them. Yeah. And, and he says... If you go looking for the world, you might find it. Love it. You know? Fantastic. I mean, isn't that the spirit? I mean, instead of like, oh, I'm going to watch the Discovery Channel and follow the science, you know? <laughs> no. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, no, I, I'm going to go out looking for the science. I'm going to be part of this. I may not be Charles Darwin. I may not be Michael Faraday. But damn it. 
you know, I can follow their lessons. I can follow their example. Right. Um, so that's kind of, uh, you know, the starting point for me. But I, I do have a couple of things to to uh, to say about these these two books that I've been reading. But but what do you think about that as a starting point? Let's see if we're on the same page there. No, we're 100% on the same page. I think that's fantastic. I think that that is what you and I are trying to put forward with this entire podcast is I think often how often I see uh, the idea that we should trust the science or look to the scientists to tell us what's what without degrading the idea that they have been through years of training that I have not been through. There's an element of the priest caste to these people. Okay, so it's this idea of just trust whatever the Bible says. You know, for a long period of human history, people were not allowed to read the Bible. That's what Martin Luther was at risk of being burned at the stake for. And that people who translated the Bible into the Vulgate before him, I think there were two people before Martin Luther, they were burned at the stake for that. There was a real risk of attempting to make knowledge accessible to the common man because that would fundamentally shift the balance of power from a priest caste who could tell you what was right and what was wrong what should and shouldn't be done which i think fundamentally had the ear of kings to a kind of protestant idea of this should be available to everybody to make their own conclusions as as they see fit Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we're at right now with science. There are great, I mean, you can go online, whether it's the Lancet or, you know, the New England Journal of Medicine or um, what's another good one? Um, Johns Hopkins, all of these papers about what's going on currently, whether it's with COVID or anything else, we don't have to be that topical. There are articles available for you to read to digest and to understand and to make your own understanding of the world. Um, But too many people want to wag their finger at you and say, no, 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 trust the science, trust the scientists, completely negating the fact that you're a a three-dimensional human being with uh, thoughts that may not line up with this official science. Or that there's any psychology and sociology involved within science. Correct. You know? Exactly. I mean, which is just absolute nonsense. But, you know, I think that the thing that is so interesting between, uh, you know, the 19th century and today, let's cut it. The 19th century was such a rich period across all of the sciences. What we have, I think, now is a very strange uh, situation where if we look at science you know, in terms of the metaphor of the temple, whether that be academia or the uh, scientific military industrial sort of complex. In, in a weird way, the people who are the really the great inventors of, of, of science in fairly recent times, they too are locked out of, of the temple in a weird way. I mean, I, I don't think that, but, uh, academia would be too excited about uh, a young Charles Darwin uh, in in the 1830s on the voyage of the Beagle, mm. uh, you know, I, I think that that his approach would have been very challenging. It's important for people um, to conceptualize of what Charles Darwin was doing at that time as being very iconoclastic. Um, Curtis Yarvin, who's a thinker who I have a lot of time for, calls what what you're calling the temple. He calls it the cathedral. And he's done some okay, great same writing. Thing. I'll go with that. He's done some great writing about how you're not allowed to step outside the cathedral. He does it at length. I think he's probably written a million words on this, and every single one of them is worth your time. Um, but the idea of the cathedral and you know not stepping outside of it, enhancing a narrative, because the cathedral does have a narrative that reinforces the power structures that be important to step out of those things right and i think right now we currently are at a time where science as an engineering uh meat and potatoes kind of you know uh uh, finding out of how molecules work and stuff like that it's all great and good and wonderful but it's uh fundamentally missing um, what i think quantum physics told us right it's missing the observer 
The observer is missing in all of our current science. And I don't want to get too much off track, but I just want to throw that, that idea out there. Chew on. Yeah, and I, I think we'll come back around to some of the, the, the social implications of we, we've lost the individual. It's become corporatized. Uh, we've lost the gifted amateurs, which is an expression that I, I think a professor of, of mine gave that to me. I think that's a beautiful idea, and it sort of captures the spirit of, of certainly, of Fort. Um, but just, just to wind up the, uh, the Darwin, uh, the, at least the Voyage of the Beagle, um, the last chapter in that is something that I recommend everybody who is interested in good writing whatever your interest in natural history or geology is, um, because he really finds uh, his writing strength. And it's just a beautiful tour de force. And we talk about writers, you know, at the, in, in a, you know, a conclusion sense, bringing it home, you know, that expression. Mm-hmm. Well, he literally is bringing it home. The final leg around the Cape of Good Hope, across the Atlantic, to Brazil, which was the key starting point to finish the 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 uh, chronometric uh, nature of the journey, and then finally the last haul to uh, back to England, and it is just an absolute tour de force of a very clear but surprisingly passionate writing for uh, the Darwin that we would you know think of from from thirty years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has one of the most powerful anti-slavery statements that I think I've ever read. And I don't know if, if everyone thinks of Darwin in terms of that, but it is, it is a very, very, um, the strength of it and, and the clarity of it, it is just absolutely a, a joy to read. So mm-hmm. I recommend The Voyage of the Bee. It was one of the greatest successes in a publishing sense of the 19th century, completely independent of natural history and, and, and geology, just as a great piece of, of travel and scientific writing. But it, that last chapter is something that anyone who enjoys great language um, would enjoy. Um, but that led me on to uh, Michael Faraday's uh, lecture uh, series you know, here we are in, in the heart of the 19th century, 1859. And uh, Michael Faraday, if, if, if people don't know, what, you know, one of the greatest physicists, chemists, um, chemists uh, certainly the great unifier of electricity and magnetism and magnetism and light. I mean, it's very difficult to imagine us being where we are uh, without Faraday, he was also the mentor and, and chief teacher of, uh, of Maxwell. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Just, and he was completely unschooled himself from the most humble sort of back, rather like James Cook, you know, becoming one of the greatest navigators. You know, here are people who did not go to Harvard or to Yale or to, you know, some fancy, they would, they would lecture, and, 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 and certainly Faraday did, uh, and, and he is actually, I think, maybe one of the finest lecturers and explicators of, of science that I've ever come across. If, if anyone wants to, from a teaching point of view, uh, the forces of matter, which are a series of, of surviving lectures that were delivered over the Christmas break to uh, a, a bunch of schoolboys, it is just an absolutely beautifully clear, enriched, wonderful explanation with great, clear experiments. It's just, it's, it's a wonder of teaching. It's, it's just, it's amazing. And on that word, I, here's one of the things that I, I really impressed me. I mean, here's someone we think of as, as you know, this luminary of, of hard science, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And his opening comment about the problem with society of his day and his fear for the modernity that he could see coming was very simply an absence of wonder. Boom. The same shit that we're talking about in 2020. 
it's exactly this, and it connects back to, I think it's a beautiful link back to Fort, that, that, we, that, that science, the real pursuit of what science actually is, by these great geniuses, these hardworking, very disciplined, oftentimes completely self-educated people, was not a denial of wonder, a denial of magic. It's exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. They were deeply, deeply committed to that. And I, I think that's a, a, you know, that's a message for us all today, you know? I mean... Yeah. Yeah, no, I would just add in that the first person who pops into mind is Isaac Newton, who I don't have to tell the people who are listening who Isaac Newton was. Everybody, everybody here knows, but he was first and foremost an alchemist. Absolutely. So, you know, what does that mean? What does it mean that he, he was not somebody who was trained in physics, um, who was trying to, to figure out a hard problem as we are these days? He was somebody who was primarily interested in the alchemical process that could turn lead into gold, which a lot of people don't know this, I think, but um, alchemists were also very spiritual people because the idea of turning lead into gold symbolically represented turning the sort of base human soul into one that was um, able to enter the gates of heaven, right? So those two things were intertwined in a way that I think is very hard to understand. But, you know, Newton was a very strange man. If he was alive today, he would be considered a weirdo. He enjoyed attending public hangings. Um, (laughs) He most likely was what we would call today an incel. He did not have sex. Uh, he was an alchemist. And, you know, in his spare time, he uh, invented the concept of, uh, of gravity and calculus, right? Well, he's certainly the, uh, one of the co-creators with Leibniz. Well, they were in um, competition, all- right? Like, those two were, were sworn enemies, and they kind of co-created this thing through their competition. Kind of like Wallace and Darwin. And, and also, you know, let's not forget that Newton was a very fringe Christian. Uh, he had some very, you know, peculiar religious beliefs. For the people, you know, in, in Western society, we have this, you know, misunderstood, you know, evolution of, of human culture that we began with animist magic. We somehow then de- developed into organized religion, mm-hmm. and then that then then science, which may or may not be in competition with religion. Well, in in Newton's case, he, he was all of those at once. Yep, you know, right, absolutely. And the other thing I think is really interesting. You know, here here you know, also a very humble person. In addition to being very strange, you know, the only th- recorded comments at the, the relatively new Royal Society, mm-hmm. uh, his only comment was a request for the window to be opened. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I didn't know that. Great. It's, it's wild. I mean, here, you know, so um, I think that what we need to rediscover when, in, in, in our age right now when we're talking about following the science is to remember that all of this comes from some very, very strange individual perspectives of people who just really were, were deeply and profoundly curious. Like my plumber friend, they said, look, if you go out looking for the world, you might find it. You know, you might. You might find it. You might. That's, and what you find isn't going to be the world, but it's important to go looking for it. Well, Chris, wouldn't you say that we know the world better now? So maybe that wonder is not necessary. We have the data to back up where we are right now. Well, I see. I think that's that's what a lot of people think. It's all over, you know. Uh, it's uh, we've reached the end point of science. <laughs> now the only thing well, that's left is to colonize Mars or something like that. There's a good book that was published. Um, I I think his name is Horgan. Uh, he's a scientific journalist, uh, but he wrote a book called The End of Science, and it's something that maybe uh, we'll, we'll follow up on and, and tell our listeners about, because it's, I think that, David, I think that this is exactly the problem, that for in many uh, 
people in the public mind, we think it's all over Red Rover. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, I'm certain I've I've had these these flame wars uh, on Facebook about well, evolution's you know a done deal, and I, I say, well, hmm. Lynn Margulis would beg to differ. Well, some of my students would, would beg. I mean, wh why would people want to be pursuing, you know, uh, graduate work um, in, in many fields if, if the whole thing were over? I mean, I don't know what people are, what are, what they're thinking of when, when they say that. Do they just need that kind of certainty? Um, well, we have to have a priest cast, right? We have to have the priest cast. That, that tells us what's what. Well, you know, but hang, I think this is something is interesting happening here, though, because when you first mentioned the priest caste, which is, a, you know, th that term gets, you know, talked about in terms of science a lot. But what if instead of the priest caste trying to dictate and control the public mind, what if the real problem is that the, the general public turns over the responsibility, the individual responsibility for curiosity, investigation, and query, and they want the priest cast. Because mm -hmm. then all, well, you know, yep. then all our problems are solved, yep. Yep. you know? I think you're onto it. Please, please continue. But I, I, think, I think you're onto it. I think this is, this is really important. I think that I, I really, I mean, you've helped me see that much more clearly now. I think there was a time, uh, certainly in a religious sense, where the, where a priest caste was definitely trying to exert control. And I think in there have been times in science where this is certainly true. And I think there is a, a, a tier of science, uh, the hacks, if you like, mm -hmm. who uh, who want to to make that to impose that. Uh, power on people. They like the prestige. They like the authority. Uh, they like the uh, the accoutrement of of you know the lab coats and and the whole thing. But I wonder if why we've gotten to this point is because people have abandoned curiosity. They've abandoned the freedom to investigate. Um, they've abandoned the 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 joy of being a little bit quirky. Yep. Um, yeah. Look at our know. art. Look at our art right now. Look at the most popular films now versus the films that were popular in the 1970s. And that could very well be a product of, you know, a different system at a different time in the seventies. Perhaps there was a, a market for a movie like taxi driver, right? Todd Phillips, who made the movie Joker. Have you seen this film? Yes. I liked it. Doesn't matter. <laughs> um, no, I did too. It's, um, Todd Phillips wanted to make a modern update of Taxi Driver, The King of Comedy, you know, these kind of classic Scorsese movies, and he could not get it through. He couldn't get that movie made until he couched it in the idea that it was a Batman villain who was doing these kind of things. Well said. Well said. Yes. Okay. He could not get these movies made. So, so people want to, in this day and age, I think people want more than anything to be comfortable. They want to be comfortable. And I think that this crosses left and right. This is not a divide of ideology at all. People in general want to have a nice, neat little thing that they can believe in. And for the right, it's... God, Jesus, whatever you want to think. I know you and I both have our opinions about these kind of things. We won't touch on those in this episode. But for the left, it's just science. This amorphous idea of something called science. But what it really is, on both sides of the aisle, is it's a plea, a cry, for simplicity, for easiness. Yes. Where can I yes. where can I fall that aligns me with a group, a group of people who will be my friends unquestioningly if I follow these precepts to the letter? But what we're talking about is that the real interesting stuff is when you eschew either the left or the right and you begin to just follow the data. You follow 
the anecdotes. You bring everything in. You're a sponge. You're not bound by a certain list of rules that you have to follow. You're just going wherever things take you, right? And that's what makes the most interesting art, to go back to the Joker thing, right? The most interesting books that I've read in 2019 and 2020 are books that threw the book out the window, right? I'm just going to do the thing that I think is the most interesting. And, and I thought that, you know, th- that those particular books were great, but science is the same way. Science and art are very bound up in this way, right? Like, totally. Whoever, I mean, it's, whoever it's... can kind of follow their, their muse, that's what's the most interesting thing. And we have this loud contingent of people who want to put a big blanket over that. Stop the flame before it gets too intense. Don't you think? Totally. I mean, I, I think the whole relationship of, of, of art and science is so rich. I mean, whether you're looking at it in fairly representational terms, the great uh, natural history illustrators, Audubon, Gould. Uh, I've just come across uh, some work that I, I'd never heard of before. Um, a fairly, you know, again, you know, someone obscure, um, a surveyor and cartographer named Harold Fisk. Who made some things that he calls the meander maps of the Mississippi River? The meander maps of the Mississippi River. Listeners should Google on that because they end up being just the most beautiful artwork you've, and they have a complete scientific basis. I would love to. Um, uh, there, there's a website that I, I really recommend called uh, the Public Domain Review. And it's filled with just absolutely wonderful, uh, strange information that is is now completely in the public domain. And um, this guy Harold Fisk's meander maps um, are are part of that. Oh, They're one beautiful. of the collections. These are beautiful. Uh, they're just exquisite, aren't they? Uh, I mean, I. I, I don't, I mean, they're better than anything Jasper Johns could have, you know, set out to do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think they're absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. These are fantastic. Um, wow. I, I would uh, encourage I, listeners to look these up. These are great. This is the first I'm hearing of them. and They are, they're really something else. It's, uh, and another website I've discovered, um, and a big shout out to the woman who's behind that because she just looks so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chelsea, Dr. Chelsea Nichols, she has a PhD from Oxford. She has a site called, um, I think it's the Museum of, of, of Ridiculously Interesting Things. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is another one of these Neo-Fortrians. Uh, David, can we be Neo-Fortrians with... Uh, uh, I I, uh, I would like to to meet Dr. Nichols. She looks I feel like, like we already iconic. are. Yeah. We already are. We already are. Yeah, absolutely, we are. Like it's um, it, we, we were we were um, a couple of uh, dirty weird <laughs> it, like idiots in search of a home, right? And and I feel like Neo Ford, Fordian is 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 our home, right? Like what are we trying to get at? We might be Neo Fordians, man. I think we are, and I, you know, there there is a beautiful. Uh, I mean, in addition to all this stuff being phenomenally uh, interesting to us, I, you know, it just on, on multiple levels. I mean, Wallace Craig spending his life trans not use not incorporating bird sounds into music, which many interesting composers had. He's created a book called The Expressions of Emotions in the pigeons and he was such an astute love listener that. love that he he's trying to connect us with the sounds of birds that really hits home with me because when i lived in australia and in the tropics you know i was surrounded by all these just absolutely glorious uh looking birds i mean uh, I don't know if people know what a uh, bird of paradise looks like, but in Papua New Guinea, there are several species. That, you know, it's just, it's insane. You, you kind of take the the immediate aesthetics of these uh, creatures kind of for granted. 
And where I live now, okay, the birds don't look quite so so beautiful, but my God, they are gorgeous singers. Mm-hmm. So I'm really attentive to the sounds of them. And so Wallace Craig is, is at, and if people know, um, well, for instance, gamble quail, you know, uh, which are around all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's very, very difficult to imitate. Well, you're a good mimic, David. I, I, you might have a better shot at it. It's very hard to imitate quail. Uh-huh. So what you end up with, what I found I end up with is, you know, I talk about the whir when I'm writing, you know, the whir of their wings, mm-hmm. you know, and that's mm-hmm. another sound they make, right? Mm-hmm. But that's because I can't actually do their voice, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's all, this is, you know, where this natural curiosity that we all that's our democratic right. That's our human right. And, and there's so much enjoyment in that. And if we can inspire that in, in students, um, one of Faraday's lines, which I just think is, is so, it's such a, a twist on our idea of aesthetics and the art world. Uh, in his view, he says, most of the beautiful things are common. And I think that's just a gorgeous, uh, you know, flip on, say, Damien Hurst, you know, being worth $100 million for, you know, a dead shark in a tank, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is a little bit too, too good a metaphor for, for what's happened to art, I think. Um, but isn't this an empowering thing yeah. to think about in terms of younger people uh, parents homeschooling. Uh, I know that, I mean, with you and Rios, you know, expecting your first child, you're mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, it's early days, but, but you're, you know, you've got to be thinking about sort of a plan for education. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. We, none of us knows uh, at any level what's going to happen with our school system. Um, so we've got to be thinking of alternatives. And the alternatives are everywhere. Everywhere. You know? Everywhere. Yeah, there's a there's a few threads that I, so the first and most immediate thread is what, what do you do with your kids? You know, do you put them into this public school system? Um, I am currently very staunchly uh, of the opinion that I will not be putting my kids into the public school system because I'm a product of the public school system. And man, what a waste of time that is. You know, I mean. <laughs> I spent so much time uh, with things being forced down my throat, and I'm kind of naturally rebellious. I made my English teachers' lives hell, and I liked English, right? I I enjoyed learning about, you know, Heart of Darkness and Bartleby the Scrivener and Lord of the Flies. I liked reading all that shit, and I still made their lives hell because that wasn't where I was at that time, Right. So right. I'm I'm much more uh, uh, interested in things like Montessori schools and you know finding out what it is that my kid actually wants to learn about and facilitating that. So that's where I am with education. But to go back to bird sounds, have you ever heard the sound of a grackle? Yes, I, I've got. Well, the grackles around me. Yes, I have. Oh, you have grackles in. Yes. Oh, I didn't know it's that. A kind okay. of grackle. Okay. Okay. They're, I didn't know that. I thought I thought that was a very specifically Oklahoma thing. I thought they kind of congregated around that, but it, it's it's a it's a pretty horrific sound, isn't it? Yeah. Well. Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, to me, they sound kind of the way they look. The ones yeah. around here are <laughs> yeah. not that's very so, distinguished. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh Yeah, they look like these fucking wild-eyed psychopaths, right? When you see a grackle. Yes, they do. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, "Oh, it makes 100% sense that that makes that kind of noise." But they're they're just kind of horrific, but how interesting to, you know, have this this kind of obnoxious creature around you. That's part of the ecosystem, you know. We have so many obnoxious things. We have dump trucks and you know, and people honking their horns and, and, and people pushing their children down the sidewalk in strollers that are screaming and howling, all these insane noises. But then you hear a grackle, and it's somehow intolerable, right? Like, that's, that's not right. 
But it's a bird. It's a bird doing what a bird naturally does. So are dump trucks just doing what they naturally do? I don't want to get too off tra off, off track here. I, I I definitely don't want to you know derail the conversation. But the concept of the grackle is very interesting to me. Well, certainly those uh, those disturbed eyes. Uh, they are They're unblinking. In the, in the, words... the unblinking eye of the grackle. That's that's not well. As, or as as a, a friend of mine says, they are part of the argument against mescaline. Because <laughs> you don't want to look. You don't want to see eyes, that shit dude, when no. you're on mescaline. You do not want to no. see a grackle. That would be a bad no. trip, dude. I I feel that hundred no. percent. No, that's great. No. I feel like I got this too off track. I'm sorry. Do you want to do you want to rein this in, or do you want to keep going crazy? Uh, well. Um, let's see what what sort of uh coda we could return to here yeah. uh well one of the things i think about is that uh let, let's just touch base back with with faraday and teaching mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. because i i think that one of the i mean everyone is aware that uh certainly anyone with with children right now or, or kids of any age that that uh we we are in a free fall crisis with, with covid19 but i think those of us who have done any any teaching at any level uh, in the relatively recent past know that the education system, at least in America, for sure. Mm -hmm. Let me speak about that. I think other countries are are doing a much better job, uh, but really the, the the pandemic has just simply been uh, you know a crisis on top of a, a crisis that's been building for the last yeah. oh three decades at least, maybe maybe longer. Um, and I think that one of the problems is is that we really don't have a clear idea about what good teaching is. And right. I if people would you know just check out the Faraday lectures, um, they would see that there really is a model for for what good teaching is. And I would suggest, and I'm thinking uh, I'm, I'm definitely applying this to my writing textbook that. It's the same principles that apply to almost, well, certainly any piece of writing, but I, I think almost any piece of communication at all. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe we could flesh the, those three out. Mm -hmm. I, I'll, I'll chime in with, with, what, with what I think they are. But, but let me just hear what you think in, in, in just off the top of your head. Mm -hmm. let's, let's flesh out five principles and then condense them down to three. What would what do you think would really be an the five essential elements of we'll, we'll say good teaching but it's good communication at large what would be the say one that would come to mind curiosity the first one curiosity okay or you know as we say from a rhetoric point of view from the point of view of the speaker or or uh, presenter ethos mm -hmm. you know uh, credibility. Uh, authority, you know, we often forget that author authority connection. Mm, uh, I, I often great. tell my students, you know, it's it's that's that's really important. But curiosity and and what that means in terms of the energy that you project. Right. Curiosity is what you what brings you to that topic, but it's also what you try to engender in your audience. Uh, you know. People ask me, you know, from an anthropology sense, you know, what, what is my definition of culture? Because sometimes when I speak about it, they think I'm kind of mystical about it, as if mm -hmm. culture is some sort of sentient, animate force that mm -hmm. uh, has taken over humans, which uh, is honestly a little bit true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I do think a little bit like that. But um, it, it seems to me that culture is implicitly what you want to share. It's a receiving network. Mm. And it, it's, okay. a, it's a it's a two-way kind of communication. If, if you, you know, if you read the, uh, the great linguist Chomsky and, and Steven Pinker, who annoys the living daylight yeah, out too. of me, um, they, they always talk about language in terms of uh, one-way communication, projection, transmission. Well, I mean, really, that, you don't even talk to yourself without having a language. 
And, and you and in, implicitly in talking to yourself, you're kind of doing some sort of doubling of, of yourself. Mm-hmm. But basically, language is always a two-way, you know, fundamentally, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think culture is in that giant sense all about sharing. Otherwise, it's meaningless. Yep. So the first level of... of when we say curiosity is is the the, the precondition or or the, the first uh, prerequisite of being a good teacher. Mm-hmm. Curiosity is what you also want to impart to other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when I mentioned you know Harold Fisk's meander maps, your first instinct is to, to check them out. Yeah, because I'm excited about They're it, and I cool. said, look, <laughs> yeah, and and then we want to tell other people. And I think that's what, what education should be as a fundamental starting point. Mm-hmm. It's not this hose we stick in our heads. Mm-hmm. No wonder we're all, everyone gets tired of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just sounds manipulative. And, and you know, I, I think that any, you know, decent, rebellious young person is going to go, no, stick that up yours. Yep. You know, I, right. I don't want that. Yeah, exactly. Which brings and, me you know, to I, the second one that I was thinking about, which would be uh, humility. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, that is exactly right, and that is exactly the difference between, uh, say, the Faraday lectures and uh, the physics book I have right in front of me. Mm -hmm. Because instead, the physics book presents everything as just pure monolithic fact. Right. This is it. This is it. It doesn't say how those facts were arrived at. It doesn't explain any of... The, the, the great deep process of stumbling and fumbling down really a couple of thousand years. It doesn't talk about any of the individuals, their psychology, their search, their humility, their curiosity. It just presents, nope, it's done. This mm-hmm. is it. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Just remember this. Yep. You know? Yep. Uh, aestheticism. Well, that is an absolute... Uh, that I think is is one of the most important things because I mean that's various you know the most beautiful things are common and uh, here here's I mean I, I think that's we kind of forget that don't we that that, that we think all oh, these people are kind of above mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you know that they deny that kind of thing um, but but it's not true it's not I've I've got there's a beautiful quotation from uh, Buckminster Fuller. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. I'm, I'm going to put this in the text. But I think that uh, I, I want to, and, and I know that you share this, that we're trying to sort of reinvent uh, a new appreciation for aesthetics from a more grounded and practical point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, I think, would know Fuller as, well, the inventor of the, of the Fuller domes, the Dymaxion map. Uh, he was an inventor, a futurist, uh, a kind of architect, uh, one of the great sort of visionaries of, of um, mid-century, uh, mid-20th century America. He was an associate of McLuhan, uh, Edward T. Hall, um, just a, a very, very interesting, eccentric, wonderful dude. Mm-hmm. And he says, I never think about beauty first when working on any project. Mm-hmm. But when I have finished, or think I have finished, if my apparent solution is not beautiful, I know I am wrong. Mm. I mean, I God think that's damn, just that's a- good. Fuck, that's yeah. good. Fuck, that's good. God damn. <laughs> Anybody, that, like, I mean, th- this podcast is worth it just for shit like that. I just, I had to get up out of my chair when I saw that the first time. I thought, wow, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, you know, he, he was the person who said, you know, everyone is born a kind of genius, but the process of living degeniuses them. God. And I think that's what our concern yeah. is about education, you know? Yes. Uh, and, and just life and existence in general it's this de-education you're born with a, a, a set of skills i guess well a natural curiosity a natural yeah. 
you know, going out to look for the world, putting stuff in your mouth, mm-hmm. being willing to fall down, mm-hmm. uh, you know, throwing some tantrums to see where the boundaries are, uh, you know, picking up leaves, dealing with animals. I mean, uh, we, we start off, in, I think, in a condition of, uh, of great... Uh, I think innocence is the wrong way to put it. I think that what we are is, is radically curious mm-hmm. to begin with. Mm-hmm. And somehow that gets stomped out of a lot of people. Yep. Um, and it, it isn't just that we learn, well, you know, the only thing that matters is money. Uh, I, I actually heard that um, right. the other day. Like, I don't know. There was a... a I think there was, there was kind of a grandfather sort of guy, and he, he was talking to, you know, a, a grandson, and, um, and that's what he said, you know? It was like, what? Are you kidding? You know? I mean, but that's certainly often an American sort yeah. of point of view, and we just lose all the, the, um, the heart, the soul, the wonder, the magic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really unfair... Uh, for particularly for artistic people, and I know quite a few people in this category, who, uh, you know, their idea of, of scientists are, are kind of people without any imagination. And I just think, I mean, I can't, I can't put up with that. When I hear that, I just say, no, you're idiots right. if you think that, right. you know. So here's my number four, which may okay. or may Hit not, me. which may or may not kind of push against that, right? Number four would be uh, discipline. Oh, I think that's, that's beautiful. I mm-hmm. think that I, 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 the problem with that, I mean, I use that word a lot, and I, in, in, in the textbook I have uh, the, the, the idea of the discipline, which is uh, a name for sort of my methodology. Um, I think that's a gorgeous word, and I think if you look at the people who historically have identified with that, um, Bruce Lee comes to mind, by the way. Mm-hmm. He'd be right on board with that. Um, I would suggest that people who resist the idea of discipline um, shouldn't be listened to under any circumstances in any weather. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, Discipline is, is a beautiful idea, uh, and people should actually do a little bit of, of looking up of, of the origin of that word, because it's very interesting. Um, which leads me to number but, five, which is connected. So I'm interrupting, but kind of not also. Go ahead. So like no, my, hit it. Like my, my last one would be responsibility, right? And I, I would, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, I like the Donna Haraway splitting of that word into responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. So I just, again, these are this, this is us spitballing. We did not plan this. <laughs> this is just coming off the top of our heads. So yeah, my fifth one would stuff be uh, like scientists. Exactly. We're actually we're doing science right now. Um, so responsibility would be my last one. Well, I noticed that 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 completes a circuit. I think that's an interesting sort of point of view. Let's recap what those are. We started off with curiosity, mm-hmm. and then would you like to repeat the second one for everyone? <sighs> I know what I don't want to have to. I don't remember. I'm so sorry. I don't remember. I, I was just I was just rocking with it. Um, I can go back and find out what it was, but I, I I'm sorry. I don't remember. Okay. Well, um, I'll let you think about that oh. because I do. <laughs> what is it? What is it? Um, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to let. I'm going to. I don't tell my students. It was uh, aesthetics, say, discipline, uh, responsibility. What was that? Middle one. Responsibility was, was, was the last one. It was the last one. What was the middle fucking say? You know, it's always the middle that goes wrong. That's what Robert <laughs> Anton Wilson said. I'm going to cut all you know? this shit. I'm going to cut all this shit. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, but I, you know, I, that's the thing is I just don't, I just don't give answers to people. I, you know, yeah. I, I think that's part of the science. Right. You know? Right. Okay. All right. So for the episode then... Uh, uh, God damn it! What what did I say? I'm I'm just kind of enjoying this. Yeah, yeah. I'm cutting all of this, so we're we're off mic right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Curiosity. Gotcha. Uh, I say. I don't remember. I 
fucking room. Shouldn't drink beer. Okay. Okay, well, you can go back and fix that up. Yeah, I will. That'll be your assignment. I will. Um, tell me what I said. I'm not going to tell you, Tell Dave. me what I said, Chris. <laughs> no, I'm not. I want you to go back, because it's important, because the sequence, if, if I give it to you, the, the lesson won't have, because you really did something beautiful there, and I, I don't want to give that away. Okay, okay. All right, so you know? here's where, we'll, where we will pick up with the episode, okay? Okay. So, Chris, how, how does this all relate back to Charles Ford? What are we talking about with Charles Ford? What, everything that we've just said, all the different references that we've made, what does that mean for us and our relationship to Charles Ford? Okay, and I think this sets up a nice uh, segue for our next episode mm -hmm. because we, we, we've touched, I think we're, we're, we've, uh, we've hit a nerve here or, or stepped into a river of interest. Uh, I think what Fort brings, and, and this might be uh, another, the final element uh, after responsibility, because you've sort of spoken from the point of view of, of the teacher, uh -huh. uh, the, which is what, you know, that was the question. But now if we focus back on the audience, the listeners, the students, I would say the number one thing, and I don't mean this at all in, in, in the contemporary sense that we've contaminated and degraded this wonderful word, uh, because it is a wonderful word, and it's just been abused, and it's a three-letter word, and it's fun. Mm. Um, I, I think Fort brought fun back into learning and to questioning and to our ability to enjoy information and the relationship between information and knowledge. And he gave us a wonderful, uh, you know, his approach to that was the kind of the world weekly news idea of monsters, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Loch Ness, Ogopogo. I know you're an Ogopogo fan. I'm, I'm currently on a Mary Toft rift okay I, I think that she deserves a, a kind of opera mary toft was a woman in england in 1726 or um well this is what would be explored in a work of art she she got a lot of attention she got a lot of attention uh william hogarth the, the wonderful uh illustrator printmaker uh cartoonist uh I'm just going to go out and get everything, uh, a book of everything he ever did. He was such a, a fantastic visual uh, presenter of, of human nature. But his, his uh, series, Credulity, Superstition, and Fanaticism, um, and I, I think that where we should go uh, for our next episode is in the direction of uh, superstitions and hoaxes. Um, I, I had this idea that, that superstition... Um, is wait are you ready i'm ready super because su you've just gotten a new computer right I, I think you'll like this superstition is old software mm. you know mm. we're always being forced to update there's an mm. update waiting for you are you ready to install do you want this new app well, most of us can't keep pace with that stuff. So we're running a whole bunch of old programs. And I think superstitions, that's a great way to think of them. Um, that's really good. But it's really good. Mary Toft was a woman, an ordinary sort of, you know, who became famous and got an enormous amount of tension mm -hmm. because she claimed to give birth to a litter of rabbits. That's great. And it was a major source of scientific investigation because people of that era, you know, what were they trying to do? They were trying to follow the science. Yeah. You know, yeah. the age of reason that they wanted, you know, uh, so they, they did a full, and she eventually uh, confessed to outright fraud. She, she was just trying to, to get attention. She was not, mm -hmm. well, she must have been a little insane. Um, and it's not clear why she chose rabbits. I think maybe because of the size of them. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but so the, there are all these wonderful examples of just complete strangeness. So whenever you read Fortriana stuff, 
I mean, my first reaction is to start smiling. Mm-hmm. I, I just get a good buzz, mm-hmm. you know? It, it's like a great cocktail. And I, I think that, that what Fort did was, was to really think about, uh, I mean, if Faraday was concerned about an absence of wonder, uh, Fort was wanting to go one step further and say, you know, what about pure enjoyment? You know, right, fun, right? Digging on this stuff, like you know? the, the the kind of different reactions you could have to her. You know, giving birth to rabbits. You could say, on the one hand, total bullshit, not true, whatever. That's kind of dead. It's inert. What if your reaction to that instead was, huh? Go on, go on. Exactly. Keep going. I'm listening. Exactly. I'm listening. What would it cost you to find out that That's she was a fraud? That's a nice a way to put it. What would it cost you to find out that she was a fraud? But what are the benefits of of going with it? Just going with these absurd things. I think if you do a well, cost-benefit analysis outside of a system that punishes people who are incorrect and like pushes them outside the cathedral, if you do a cost-benefit analysis where there is no cathedral, there's nothing to lose by saying, huh, go on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, let, let's, let's take that idea a little bit further. I think the cost-benefit analysis of is a very good you know, framework. If you're going to dismiss out of hand the woman who claims to have given birth to a litter of rabbits. Does that also mean, and it has meant historically, you're going to dismiss things like germ theory? Mm. Mm. Are you going to dismiss circulation of the blood? Are you going to dismiss magnetism? Right. Are you, well, I mean, on what basis, you know, is, is the dismissal coming from, you know? Right. Yeah. And I feel like that's where science finds itself today. You know, we have these amazing scientists like Dr. Thomas Cowan, who has posited that the heart is not a pump, right? The heart doesn't Mm -hmm. pump blood. Um, There are people like Dr. Zachary Bush, who shows that, you know, the virome is kind of a natural thing that human beings have been interacting with since human beings have been human beings. And there's actually nothing to be scared of with a virus. With a virus, right? It's just an update to our genetic, you know, protocol that we're mm-hmm. that some of us are maybe not quite ready for. Um, all these ideas that are very fascinating, whether it's like energy work or you know, more holistic things like you know, acupuncture, or, you know, Reiki, whatever. All this stuff is very interesting to follow if you're willing to suspend your idea of what science is to this, you know, kind of linear thing that goes from about 1880 to now, right? Just throw that out the window. Well, and of course it goes, you know, back much, much, much further. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the thing. It's course, a stumbling, yeah. fumbling, global. Uh, I mean, one of the real problems we're facing now, you know, is that there are people who are actually saying today that science is, uh, you know, is is racial, you know, yeah. and it's a particular kind of knowing for yeah. certain kind of people, yeah. which I, I have to say is an, an enormous bit of news for the people of China, India, and a fair, you know, bit of Africa. Right. You know, it's just it's absolutely sort of insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the, the, I, the racial aspect of science is is so fascinating right because on the one hand you have people telling you to you know decolonize your mind and bring all these sorts of things in and then on the other hand you have the established science which is very uh anti-indigenous right um and these people want to kind of square these things together but you can't you can't square them you have to reevaluate how you think about things that's right and to also, you know, to realize that, that you know, we are all part of, of the experiment. And, and yep. as Fuller said, we are not the only experiment. Right. 
Uh, but we can all be part of this amazing project of investigation just simply by being, you know, curious and, and open in our lives, mm-hmm. you know, looking around mm-hmm. rather than just, you know, following some sort of monolith of facts and, and formula. I mean, the thing that, that you know, a good uh, teacher of science actually clarifies on what basis do you need mathematics and what kind of mathematics do you need? Mm. You know, a lot of people just go, well, I've, I've got to, you know, the, the progression is, you know, arithmetic to geometry to trigonometry to, pre, you know, to algebra to pre-calculus to calculus. Well, without any explanation of, of like, well, why? Why? You know? Yeah. What are we using that for? I think that's the episode, man. I think we're good. Are you ready for the secret you word? You want to close out on anything? I'm ready to give you the secret word. What is it? Humility. <laughs> oh, yeah. God damn it. I Fuck. Gotcha. I gotcha. Humility. God damn. Well, I came in, uh, like, again, I black out. I go into few states. <laughs> no, that's good. I say things that I don't remember. But uh, but yeah, humility. God damn, that's a good one too. It is a good one. It's a very good one. I got some I got some uh, emails from people in the last episode where apparently I said something, and then you repeated it back to me, and I said, "That's amazing. That's great." So I had already forgotten the thing that I had said, right, and attributed it to someone else. So that's that's just me. That's just me. That's just how I well, do. Well, you know, we're just <laughs> flying this, you know, we're, we're doing science on the fly here. I, I forget what I say five seconds after I say it, but but I've got a pretty good idea what's going on. I would. A pretty decent idea. I would like to share, um, and, and, and this is, a, yeah, a little bit of boasting. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. This is a, 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 a letter from, from one of our listeners that I think is... Uh, just very special, um, and it, 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 it captures I, what I think we're, we're trying to do. Um, and this is someone who's been following us uh, really from, from the first episode. If I could just share it, it's not too long. Um, Go for it. I cannot recommend this podcast highly enough. One part literary discussion, one part philosophy, one part history, one part weekly world news, one part <laughs> naked Argentinian gaucho on a horse. If your you brain go. needs a rest or a reset, nay, a cleanse from all of the noise of society today and whose doesn't, this podcast is a gift. And uh, David and I feel that is a gift, so thank you very much to... Uh, to that dedicated listener who is who's following us and I think giving us some some guidelines of, of what we're we're really trying to to do you know um, yeah yeah well I think that uh, in that spirit uh, I think we've we've done a good job over this past hour and change and uh, we'll end it there okay thank you Chris thank you David thank you to all our listeners <laughs>